I spent a lot of time in Africa, different parts of it. Uh, not a lot of time in places like that uh, for obvious reasons. But uh, working with refugees, doing a lot of uh, we did a lot of medical mission. We did a lot of humanitarian aid. We did some Christian mission as well. Um, I, uh, I met my first wife in Nigeria, actually. I uh, went all the way to West Africa to meet a white girl from Alabama. So that's an interesting story. But uh, the uh, um, <clears throat> Yeah, I spent a lot of time, you know, we set up orphanages in, in Thailand and Southeast Asia. Who's we? Well, I had I had groups of people that I worked with. And so I had organizations. I, I headed up uh, a couple of nonprofit organizations. We worked globally, uh, like in Southeast Asia, specifically Thailand. We were setting up orphanages to get girls, young girls, uh, usually around the age of seven to nine, who were orphans on the street, off the streets, because their next step was obviously going to be sold into prostitution and human trafficking. So we did a lot of that. We did a lot of stuff in Central and South America, a um, lot of medical work there. So I've, I've seen a lot of crazy stuff around the world. And uh, I like to paraphrase Mark Twain when he said, nothing destroys prejudice like travel and nothing destroys travel like prejudice. Um it, it, people just don't travel enough. They don't get out there and see the world. They don't know. They don't have anything to compare it to. And so, by consequence, you don't realize how blessed you have it as an American. In the in again back to that word, the privileges that quite honestly we have compared to the rest of the world. What is up, America? Welcome back to another episode of the Flex Your Freedom Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have another incredible show for you, and uh, we appreciate you sitting down with us and spending a little bit of your time with us here today. Our guest today is Chad Prather. Many of you recognize the name, but before we dive into things and get started, just want to ask you if you could leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify we would really appreciate it. Leaving a review on iTunes or Spotify is really powerful in helping us get out there in front of more people. It helps us get up there higher in the podcast rankings and just expanding our reach so we could touch more people because you know we believe in the mission here and we believe in the purpose behind the mission. And if you enjoy the podcast too, you enjoy the guests and the stories that we feature on the show, we could definitely use your support and your help by leaving a review on iTunes or Spotify. Let someone know about the podcast. Tell someone what we're doing here. Share it with a friend. Share one of your favorite episodes on Facebook or Instagram. Do all of those things, and we would be very grateful and your help in helping us grow our audience. So let's dive into today's show. You know, we all know that our country right now has some serious challenges, right? And it's getting harder and harder to find anything funny about it. So we are especially grateful for people like Chad Prather, whose natural sense of humor combined with his political insight and a raging sense of patriotism makes it easier to laugh no matter how hard things get. Chad Prather burst onto the social media scene by pioneering the driver's seat video post. Many of you have seen those on Facebook or Instagram, and almost accidentally he launched into a viral favorite. And he's parlayed that success, that platform, into careers in comedy and political commentary. And Chad's national audience is definitely packed with both fans and haters, but not many people take the time to explore beneath his public persona to discover his many layers. So in this interview, we did just that. So without further ado, here's Barbara Allen with Chad Prather. Hey there, I'm Barb Allen, and it is a good day to flex your freedom, which we are doing here even behind the enemy lines here in New York, because you cannot stop the people who really want to be free. And we are reaching all the way out to the great state of Texas today, 
For our guest who CNN once labeled the pickup truck pundit, very witty and clever on their part, Wikipedia states he's a Jersey-born, Georgia-raised Texan. He's carving the name out for himself in the world of comedy, political satire, and most recently as a candidate for the governor of the great state of Texas, Chad Prather. I know people can catch you on the set where you are now at your show, your show on The Blaze. They can catch you across the country on your tours or any one of the gazillion of platforms you're on, but... We're super happy that they can catch you on Flex Your Freedom now. Thanks for joining us. Oh, Barb, thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to it. Oh, you lie so well, but that's good. Thank you. I, I, I have been. I've been. I'm excited about this. We're going to have fun. I'm just messing. I'm in a little bit of a snarky mood today, so feel free to well, I am it. too, honestly. Yeah, I, I am too. I, I had tequila last night, so I'm still feeling it a little bit. Uh, I almost <laughs> had some right before this, but I thought Dave would judge me. So <laughs> They always will. You might as well drink the tequila. <laughs> So I might have drank it anyway. Yeah. Hey, listen, in all seriousness, I really am happy to to nail you down today. I got the opportunity to see you host an event um, in Texas a bunch of years ago, TK's event uh, for the veterans. Um, yeah. They're the celebrity softball classic that he does every year. And that was super fun to see you just get to joke around and relax and be silly for a good cause. Uh, but more seriously, I really appreciate the way that you tie in humor and humanness and just realness into calling out the malarkey that is out there today. Yeah. <laughs> you, I, you know, I've always said that if you can take common sense and wrap it a little bit in humor, it makes it an easier pill to swallow, um, <clears throat> which I kind of see the world a little bit through a demented lens anyway. You know, everything to me is funny and, and I'm the guy that laughs at the funeral. Right. So I, uh, you know, I, I get in a lot of trouble in that regard, but Hey, it makes me happy. So I just kind of let people come along for the journey. I feel like we could be related, Chad. You know, I don't know if you know, um, my husband was killed in Iraq. It was a long, crazy story. And I literally, I was so like out of it and I needed, I, I feel like humor is such a good tool for so many things. So when you say that, I was literally cracking jokes in very poor taste on the way to and from the funeral. And in the court martial process, I'm cracking jokes. I'm like having the MPs wand the other widow and making jokes, like, because I don't know, it's the it doesn't have to be appropriate, but if it's funny and it makes you laugh, fuck it, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm kind of like uh, when uh, Phoebe on the on the show Friends, when Phoebe was dating the uh, the therapist, and and he kept psychoanalyzing everybody, and he kept saying about Chandler, he said, "I don't want to be there when the laughter stops." Right? Oh, uh, that, that's our way of coping uh, with with a crazy world we live in. Um, you know, look, I, I spent a lot of years of my life it, and, and openly talking about dealing with depression and anxiety and things like that. And, uh, you know, my coping mechanism has been humor uh, my entire life. And, um, you know, I've, I just find it's a far better way to, to, to get along in this world, especially with the craziness we see everywhere. Yeah, I think sometimes the less funny it is, the more you need to joke about it. But that's why I feel like I've developed this coping mechanism and then I'll stop making it about me. I'll go back to about you because this is what I do. This um, coping mechanism back in the day, which I apply today, when something goes really freaking sideways, I'll stop and ask myself like, exactly how long is it going to be till I can tell the story and it's funny. Like, and when you put it in that perspective, like at what point am I going to be able to laugh when I tell the story, you know, like tonight, next week, 10 yeah. years, whatever, but that's well, the, thing about, the thing about people that see humor in the world, you know, uh, uh, Steve Harvey, he said, you know, look, when, when for comedians, we have a weird mind. Uh, he said, you know, when tragedy happens, we have the jokes written that day. Like, <laughs> I, I guarantee you that um, 
uh, Chris Rock had an hour's worth of comedy written five minutes after Will Smith slapped him the other night. Uh, that's just the way a comedian's brain works. That's the way they cope with things. So uh, be interesting to see what comes out of that. But yeah, that's that, you know, the world doesn't always understand that, especially these days. People are so thin skinned uh, and easily offended at things that uh, it, it's hard to to deal with the world with humor. I've always said that as a comedian, like I don't ridicule people. I don't I try not to mock people. But, you know, mocking is kind of in the job description of humor and comedy. And I always say, look, I make fun of myself the most. So if I do that, then I've kind of earned the right to be able to make fun of others as well. So I, I always say that I don't care if you're gay, straight, fat, skinny, white, black, trans. I don't care what you are. I'm going to make fun of you. Um, and, and that's just that's this the, that's the tenets of our relationship. And that's the way it has to be. Yeah. And if I feel if I don't make fun of you, then, you know, I'm just being polite and we're not yeah. really close. Like so yeah. yes. whenever whenever we were running for governor, uh, we were in the primary race. And of course, Alan West was in the race and, and he's a longtime friend. And Don Huffines was in the race. He's a longtime friend. So, so it's like it was like a, a, a gentleman's race. Right. We were all three up against Greg Abbott in Texas. And so uh, Alan West came into the studio here to do another show one day that I was on and and I said, sit down, let's make fun of Don Huffines. And he goes, man, I know you make fun of me when I'm not here. And I said, I wouldn't love you if I didn't. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a form of love. But yeah. really, it, it really is one of the most underrated tools for resilience that I think that are and connection and all of that. So yeah. Good um, to have you been doing that your whole I mean, I can tell. I'm sensing that this is your personality, you know, and so <laughs> probably uh, how you were pretty much came out of the womb, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, you know, my, my mother, my mother was the people person in the family, right? She was always the life of the party. My dad, you know, uh, a, a girl that a good friend of mine, she asked me the other day, she goes, was your dad funny? He's passed away now. She goes, was your dad funny? Was he silly? And I said, no, he was absolutely not anything like me. He was very stoic. Right. And, uh, but I, he had a great sense of humor. It was just very dry. And so for me, you know, my brothers are funny. And so we just kind of it was a it was a fun household to live in in that regard. We, we just found humor in everything. And for me, I just said, you know, years ago, I, I, when I started doing the truck videos, um, for me, it was kind of therapeutic. I, I tell people that I get to run my mouth for a living. It's very therapeutic. It's, it's not always the most productive thing, especially as much as I put my foot in my mouth. But uh, you know, I started doing the truck videos and just kind of sprinkling the humor in there with it. I just said, you know what, I'm going to be me. And if people like it, they like it. If they don't, then they won't. And obviously it's not for everybody, my sense of humor. Uh, but I don't care. You know, that's that's the beauty of not being controlled by the rejection of people or the acceptance of people, because both of those things, as Rudyard Kipling said long ago, are imposters. Um, you know, you, you just be yourself, be genuine. And so the biggest compliment that I've ever gotten is when people say you're real. We believe that you're real uh, and the things you say are genuine. So being yourself, I think, is the essence of integrity. Um, and, you know, integrity comes from the word integer, which means one. When you're one with yourself, that you, you have integrity. And so that's the biggest compliment people give me. And, and thankfully, it's it's kind of fun along the way. Yeah. Well, that, that was a lot of cool and deep but true stuff you said there. Oh, you know, girl, I, I got it. I got it. In, you got, got it. You got it. And you know, stuff. you got it. You got. I think you're also the original 
truck poster um, in terms yeah, of I, arguably I, like I am after oh. you started that then I started seeing everybody's now now everybody's sitting but you were sitting in your vehicle yeah sharing shit online before it was cool <laughs> well for me I was doing a television show I was doing equestrian lifestyle it was equestrian lifestyle the horse network and uh, I was doing a show for them traveling around the country and I would go to the studio to do voiceover work and post-production and I would just pop the camera phone up there and start talking to it. It's kind of sitting in traffic, whatever. And uh, I had no idea that it was going to be have the viral nature that it did, but it did. And then all of a sudden, you know, people like Graham Allen and John Burke and, and various other people started doing their and people kept saying, you know, why is this guy always in his truck? I said, it's the perfect studio. I can control the light. Like, look, I, I'm in a I'm in a professional studio here. I can't even control the light in here because of the stupid hat. Um, you know, I got the shadow across my face. I can control the lighting in the truck. I can control uh, the privacy in the truck. I, I can, you know, I can control the temperature in the truck. People leave you alone. It's fantastic. So, um, you know, it just turned out to be the perfect studio. And uh, I don't do as many of those videos anymore simply because of the censorship of social media has gotten so wicked that it's like, you know, God, you put a lot of mental thought into those videos and then nobody watches them. Nobody gets a chance to see them. So, I, I really want to get back to doing more of those. Uh, that's kind of one of those dance with the one that brought you attitudes. I really want to get back to that. Yeah. Th that's your roots, man. Get back yeah. to your roots. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you know, your introduction, CNN, it was kind of funny. I, I took that and ran with it. CNN yeah. did a story on me a long time ago. They thought they were going to, you know, get, get me in an aha gotcha kind of thing, but they didn't. Um, but they called me the pickup pundit. And I think they meant it kind of as an insult, but I took it and ran with it. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Did they have you on before or after your Safe Spaces song, Friends in Safe Spaces? You know, uh, that's a good question. I want to say it was before, but I'm not sure. Um, that You know, what's interesting about that, Barb, is I'm remembering now I was down in Houston and uh, staying at a hotel and Pierce Morgan had retweeted me and made a comment about something that I said. And I think it was one of my videos, actually. And so CNN picked up on the Pierce Morgan retweet. And so they called me on the phone and did this big thing. And, you know, CNN, they got to try to turn it into a hit job. Uh, that was the most nerve wracking story anybody's ever done on me because I was very worried about what they were going to come out with. But overall, it was positive. Yeah. I don't trust any of them. No, I, th that's true. Uh, everything is fine. I don't believe really anybody anymore. You know what bothers me? I don't know. Does this piss you off the way it pisses me off, or am I just easily pissed off? I hate how both sides talk about the media. You got like everyone from Tucker and Jesse, what they're all they're all like, oh, the media doesn't this. And then you got the CNN talking heads, the media does well, if they're all calling each other the media, who the fuck is the media? Like they're all the <laughs> right? Like, well, yeah. like it's You're not wrong. I listen, I keep telling my followers and my listeners and, and viewers, I'm like, look, if the mainstream media is saying it, go the other way. And I don't care if it's Fox News. I, I don't care who it is. You know, I believe I, I'm an independent broadcaster here at The Blaze. And The Blaze is a great, you know, The Blaze is, people say, well, it's a conservative network. It's really not. It's a it's a network that is for free speech. We want people to be able to say whatever they it want to say. It's conservative by default. Well, I'm conservative. Right. You know, we have people here who are libertarians. We have people who are Republicans. I don't consider myself necessarily a Republican, uh, we have we have people here who are you know very left leaning. We've had full blown uh, liberals, and um, you know th that have been hosts here. Um, but we're a, we're a platform for free speech, and uh, 
you know, we're, we're not a Christian network. We're not a conservative network by definition. But I just believe we got to start supporting independent broadcasters because if they can shut down the media, shut down the information, um, you know, that's the biggest thing. You look at the Ukraine, you look at Ukraine right now, you know, they shut down their ability to communicate with one another. And that's that's an ep- that's in essence a very big strategy and tactic of warfare. So we've got to support these independent broadcasters, people like yourself who are out there, you know, making sure that truth is getting out there and, and we're sharing it. It's an important thing and get away from this mainstream media dependence that we have. This twenty four seven bombardment of propaganda coming our way without any without any relief. Yeah, no shit. Um, <laughs> you crack so, me. What? <laughs> you crack me up. <laughs> I told you, I'm just, I'm in that mood, right? I'm in the zone. Yeah. Um, all right. So your run for governor. Yeah. Um, what prompted you to do that? I mean, it's not, I know people say, oh, I want to make a difference in it, but it's sort of like a big deal to put yourself out in that ring. It's not like you can just sort of half-ass say, oh, I think I'm going to run for governor and put up some tweets or whatever. Like you have <laughs> to go all in and I'm imagining that it's sort of, becomes everything that you do unless I'm wrong about that right so yeah what was that experience and what prompted you to well I jumped in because of the mandates and the shutdowns in Texas you know being told that people in their jobs are non-essential and and this governor was doing that I mean he thrust our economy in Texas into a into a depression as bad as the Great Depression um and and there was three million jobs that were lost and and thousands of, of places of employment that never reopened um, and I was in South Dakota. I was having dinner. I was sitting across the table from Don Trump Jr. And I always joke about that. I say I was having a glass of wine when my phone went off saying, talking about more mandates in Texas. And I, I don't know if it was because I was in South Dakota. I don't know if it's because I was drinking wine. I don't know if it's because I was with a Trump, but I, I just took to Twitter and I said, I'm going to run for governor in 2022. And it, that blew up, went like wildfire about, it took me about 48 hours to come to the decision that, yeah, I was going to put my money where my mouth was and do it. And so a lot of people didn't take me seriously. I don't have a political background. I don't come from any political clout. Uh, The political world, even though I'm in political media and political humor, the political world itself, which is a very cringy place, they had no knowledge of me, you know, and they certainly didn't take me seriously as a candidate because that's kind of a weird cult, if you will. Uh, You kind of have to play their game. And I was I refused to do that. So, you know, when I came out of that thing with about four percent of the vote, people say, well, that was a failure. No, I, I mean, I literally started from nothing, spent by comparison, virtually nothing and still got four percent of the Texas vote in the Republican primary um, from coming out of nowhere. I'm pretty daggum proud of that because it opened up over 18 months It opened up a whole new world to me and a whole new network of human beings that I didn't even know existed, really. I thought I did, but I didn't know they did. I didn't know that they did in the way they did. That's a lot of dids in that sense. <laughs> um, uh, but it's so to me, it was a win-win, right? Just the sheer fact that I ran, ran successfully, ran a campaign that had integrity, that at the end of it, you know, we didn't get fined by any ethics commission. Nobody tried to uh, character assassinate me. Uh, none of that nonsense beyond the typical internet trolls. Uh, I was pretty proud of that. And more than anything, I'll be honest with you, I, uh, I grew stronger in my faith, um, and I also I also um, learned a ton. I mean, you want to talk about taking a sip from a fire hydrant and, and just really trying not to drown. Uh, you get in the political game, because to me, I think the governor of Texas 
is the third most powerful position in the universe. Uh, you got God, you got the president of the United States, and you got a governor of Texas. Uh, we're, we're the eighth, ninth largest economy in the world. We've got a bigger economy in Texas than Russia. Um, this is a big, big deal. So we successfully, just by being in that race, we successfully pushed this governor back to some constitutional values. Um, he did some things, but he, he's saying a lot of things. Hopefully he'll continue and do them. Um, and just by pushing him further to the right, I feel like we did a good job. Yeah, cause and effect, right? So you definitely have played a role. And I love people who would say that that was a, a failure or mock it or whatever, because, I mean, how many people actually get out there and run, yeah. you know, just the facts? So that's a difference. I think the armchair warriors, you know, are, are the ones who are the first, to, you know, it's all it's well and good to sit your ass on the bleachers with your beer and your hot yeah. dog and mock everybody down below. But we save that for the stupid celebrity award shows that... <laughs> I know the truth. That's, that's where that belongs. Um, all right. So what would be your advice be to somebody who's like really considering it and on the edge and feels like they have a lot to contribute and, you know, has some brain cells firing and would like to get into that political arena the way you did, but has no no platform, no backing? How, how do you go about that? Well, it, it is all about your networking, and and what I learned is, you know, run for the run for the place, the position that you feel like you have the most conviction and passion. Like I believe the school board, that's the most important position in the nation right now. Um, you know, run for the school board. I, I don't believe in public schools. I really don't. I think they're built on a bad foundation. That's a, not a knock to educators or teachers because they're they're victims to the same system. But um, I think the school board is one of the most important things, you know, running for precinct chairs uh, in, in your county, uh, running for city council, you know, those kind of places of influence. Now, me, I ran for governor because I wanted to punch the king in the mouth, right? I, he was the guy shutting me down. You know, I probably could have run for lieutenant governor in the state of Texas and, and done a pretty fair showing there. Um, but I, I didn't want that. I, I, I had a conviction to hold this governor accountable and uh, and that and I think that's why I was successful in many ways, because it was a passion of mine. So go where your passion takes you, get a vision, get a passion for it and then and then do it. Um, you know, so many people, you know, they, they get behind that rifle scope and they, they put their finger on the trigger and it's ready. Aim, 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 aim. At some point in time, you've got to risk it. You've got to pull the trigger and go for it and put yourself out there. That is a very vulnerable place to be. Let me just say, you know, when you pick up your phone and you don't know what the next headline is going to be or. You know, somebody's going to tell some lie about your maybe they tell the truth about you. Right. You never know what kind of shit's going to come out. Uh, but it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it, and you just never know. Um, but it's worth the risk. I, it really is worth the risk. And I know people want to just kind of sweep the whole thing away and say, well, our elections aren't secure and, and politicians have no integrity. But I, I, I hope that people will get some um faith once again in our sacred institutions and we got to work hard to make those institutions sacred again um and and that's i think that's all part of it and uh you know we've got a lot of privileges in this country that i think we, we're taking for granted and because we've taken them for granted we're starting to lose them and and i don't want that to happen somebody said to me the other day they said you know freedom is an illusion and I put a lot of thought into that. I, I said, you know, to, to a degree, I think that person may be right. You know, right now in America, we're under so many different tyrannies. You know, I, I've said for 25 years that we've got we've got three major 
things that have got to be under control or we're in trouble. One is the media, uh, the other is the courts, and the other is the education system. Well, now all of those have, have kind of become tyranny. So we have judicial tyranny, educational tyranny. We've got um, um, you know media tyranny. Now add social media and big tech tyranny. And then the, the vaccine mandate. So you got medical tyranny and the job mandates, which is corporate tyranny. It's bureaucratic tyranny, this big government stuff. So we got a lot of tyrannies coming our way. It's the average man and woman, and I'm no biologist, but uh, <laughs> the average man and woman has to get involved in this and, and start, you know, sticking it back to them and say, no, we're, you know, we're not going to stand for this. These folks who go to, you know, the, our capitals or go to Washington, D.C. and don't represent our priorities with the delegated authority we gave them. We got to take that back. Yeah, I think. Everything you said, though, there's like 12 different bullet points there that are hammered out that I think um, should be addressed, you know, could be addressed individually on different like entire shows, right, or <laughs> articles or whatever you want to do it. But yeah, in a nutshell, I think you just sort of dialed into a great many of the issues and complexities that are making things more complex than they need to be today. And yeah, I think the institutions need to earn our trust back. Yep. And I don't really know. You know, foolish once, shame on, shame on you, kind of yeah. thing, right? And the shame is entirely over there now. I mean, we all bear some of it, right? We all play our own little role. But you know, the people who just read a headline and then share it as gospel and start ragging on each other when they don't know what the hell they're even talking about in the first place. Uh, but I guess we're never really going to eradicate stupidity. I guess. <laughs> I no, unfortunately, it's forever. Unfortunately, it's forever. And uh, I have succumbed to it myself on occasion, although I'm trying, trying to be a recovering uh, person in that category. All right. You touched on privilege. Privilege is a it's a triggering word, Chad. It is it's a triggering word. And I saw you posted that amazing masterpiece from Home Depot um, on their their training about all the privileges. And yeah. I'm curious, I just stumbled across. I don't know if this is like the latest wokeism in terms of privilege or if it's old and I'm just now catching up, but it was the first one for me. I came across a heterosexual privilege checklist. Have you seen this? <laughs> I don't like, think I've seen that one. I've seen the cisgender privilege, but I haven't seen the heterosexual privilege. Yeah, no, it's a real thing. And I about lost it the other day when I was doing so. I saw some article and then I clicked. I'm like, this cannot be this. This must be. <laughs> I have so many jokes in my head right now, Barb. There's You're what? So, so many things going right here. Yeah, I'll send you the link um, after this. But uh, a guy named Sam Killerman, who is apparently a pretty big name out there in the world of privileges and social, he's a social justice advocate. But colleges, I found this on the Arizona State University site. They're <laughs> teaching this, right? And uh, and then you can link back to this guy and do this. And they literally have it's thirty. Ooh, nope. It is 40, 40 checklist items of, um, of heterosexual privilege. Hell yeah. And I'm like, what, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, well, actually at college now. And it, when, you, when you go down the rabbit hole of this guy, leave that one there. When you go down that, <laughs> that path, <laughs> like you really, it just gets more and more insane. And, but this is at college. I, I do feel privileged to be heterosexual. <laughs> listen, I, I listen, I'm eating up with privilege. I tell people all the time, I say I'm a white heterosexual Christian conservative male. I wear a cowboy hat. Um, I right. burn up the ozone with a diesel truck. 
I've got, you know, cows that, you know, the Green New Deal is opposed to their flatulence. So I'm public enemy number one uh, with all of this privilege. And um, yeah, I have a lot of jokes right now that I can say about having heterosexual privilege. Um, but but yeah, yeah. this whole privilege thing is so funny. Everybody ha- in America is privileged. Let's put, let's just stop, right? Yeah. Yes. Like I was sitting here, I was looking at this thing. We taped my show today. And there's a thing here on, uh, it's from YouGov. It's this graph right here. And it takes the statistics from the census and the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And it's a poll by YouGov and other polling firms. And basically, it's how Americans overestimate the size of minority groups and underestimate the size of most majority groups. So like, for instance, they asked people, they said, uh, how many Americans are transgender? The estimated proportion said 21 percent, but there's really only one percent of Americans are identify as transgender. Um, you know, they, they said, you know, how many are bisexual? The estimation was 29 percent, which is dumb. Uh, it's actually four percent. Um, you know, there was uh, uh, how many are uh, are. Um, let's get down here. There's all these different things, you know, like, for instance, how many have a driver's license? Well, the perception on that one, if I can see straight, I don't have my glasses on. The perception is that 68%, only 68% of Americans have a driver's license, when in actuality it's 84%. So, so you know, this whole thing that I having a, a driver's license and ID to vote is racist. Well, 84% of Americans have a driver's license. Why do we continue to insult them and say that's a white privilege thing? You know, our perceptions of who is privileged and, and what is prevalent is, is just ridiculously skewed into an alternate reality that just doesn't exist when you actually look at the numbers. Um, so, you know, we got to get back to the real world. You know, I wrote a book, and this is a shameless plug, it's just sitting yep. over here. Do I wrote it. a book it, called, called Am I Crazy? Yep. It came out last year. And it's an unapologetic patriot takes on the insanity of today's woke world. And I tell people, I said, buy this book if for nothing else to read the very long introduction and the very long final chapter uh, where I and everything else are vignettes in the middle of it. But I'm like, this is this is right here. It brings us back to the fact that we're letting the the crazies run the world. The asylums are empty. And not only are they running the streets, but they're, they're creating policy and we're putting them in office and, and they're, they're creating our culture around us. So we got to take that back. Um, you know, by and large, by and large, the people with common sense are the majority, but we're being drowned out by the voices of a few. And that's that's a trend that's absolutely got to stop. And so I always talk about the on my show, we always talk about subverting the dominant paradigm. You know, the woke mob wants to subvert the dominant paradigm. So, as I said earlier, white heterosexual Christian conservative male. Well, if I'm those things, then that all of those things, if I'm the, if that's a majority trait, I must be privileged. Therefore, I must be subverted because I'm somehow the 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 victimizer. Right. I'm the I'm the villain. So we've got to subvert that dominant paradigm. That's a bad philosophy. You build a house of cards on that. And I promise you that fault line is going to crack and the least little wind of blows of common sense is going to fall in. And your whole worldview is going to crumble around you and it's going to be deadly when it happens. Yeah, seriously. Um, and it's just, it's like one thing after another, after another. It's like every time you think, all right, like I remember thinking when the freaking vagina hats came out, I was like, <laughs> this is the peak of crazy. Like yeah. nothing, n- there, there will never be anything dumber. Well, I don't know. I, I didn't think so either. 
You know, I, I do a comedy bit about the vagina hats, and I was like, you know, I think us guys need to get together and wear turtlenecks and have a foreskin rally. You know, we get we can like pull, you know, shave our heads bald and pull it up like this. And, uh, and you know, I'm like, and then I start seeing people that actually there there's men in the street that actually protest this. They they protest the the their mutilation. You know, they wear white jumpsuits and they put blood spots on their crotch. And I'm like, oh, I missed that one. I missed that wave. Yeah, you'd be glad you did. Uh, <laughs> this is insanity. This idea, this idea that everybody is oppressed in some way or is a, has been victimized in some way, that's a bad ideology. Um, you live in America. You're privileged. I mean, our, our homeless people are obese. You know, we, we have we have our, our poor people by world standards are rich. And so when we talk about being victimized, if, if you don't have real oppression, I'm convinced that people identify themselves with their pain. So, you know, you get in a story and, and somebody starts talking about what they've gone through. And it's always, you know, my life was this and it was bad and this happened and this is how it came out of it. So that so they identify around the pain. Well, if you don't ever have any pain or oppression, you start creating that shit. And so when you, when you start coming up with problems to have, you, you start getting some real ridiculous stuff out there, you know? So, so you have these people that are creating all these pronouns and creating genders and creating sexual identities when it's really just an identity crisis called schizophrenia. You, you got multiple personalities bouncing around inside your head. You don't know what to do with them. So it's one thing to mock them, but we really have to pity these people because, because these people they've had, their life has been, Comparatively speaking, on a global scale, and I spent 20 years in third world countries, I know I've seen this stuff up close and personal. Uh, you know, I saw a woman get stoned in Rwanda, stoned to death. I don't mean like smoking weed. She got stoned to death in Rwanda. I've seen some atrocities. Um, we got it pretty good here in this country. And, and you know, people, they want to come up with these oppressions. It's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty pitiable uh, trait to have, honestly. And more and more people have it. It's a, it's a psychosis. Yeah, I think... For me in my world, in a, you know, you got to pull the silver linings and all that crap out of things. I think if I hadn't gone through so much effort to stop feeling like a victim in my own life, I think maybe I would have been more susceptible to this wave of victim indoctrination we're feeling now. But yeah. like I, if I didn't recognize that when it was coming down at me, then maybe I might have fallen for it too. But I was like, I didn't spend all these years figuring this shit out for you to unfigure it for me, right? Um, so you just said something there that kind of got me. What What were you doing in Rwanda? Uh, humanitarian aid mission. Um, we I, I spent a lot of time in Africa, different parts of it. Uh, not a lot of time in places like that uh, for obvious reasons. But... Uh, working with refugees, doing a lot of, uh, we did a lot of medical mission. We did a lot of humanitarian aid. We did some Christian mission as well. Um, I, uh, I met my first wife in Nigeria, actually. I uh, went all the way to West Africa to meet a white girl from Alabama. So that's an interesting story. But uh, the, uh, um, <clears throat> yeah, I spent a lot of time, you know, we set up orphanages in, in Thailand and Southeast Asia. Who's we? Well, I had, I had groups of people that I worked with. And so I had organizations. I, I headed up uh, a couple of nonprofit organizations and we worked globally, uh, like in Southeast Asia, specifically Thailand. We were setting up orphanages to get girls, young girls, 
uh, usually around the age of seven to nine who were orphans on the street, off the streets, because their next step was obviously going to be sold into prostitution and human trafficking. So we did a lot of that. We did a lot of stuff in Central and South America, um, a lot of medical work there. So I've, I've seen a lot of crazy stuff around the world. And uh, I like to paraphrase Mark Twain when he said, nothing destroys prejudice like travel and nothing destroys travel like prejudice. Um, it, it, people just don't travel enough. They don't get out there and see the world. They don't know. They don't have anything to compare it to. And so by consequence, you don't realize how blessed you have it as an American. And in in, again, back to that word, the privileges that quite honestly we have compared to the rest of the world. Yeah. I mean, so after hearing that, I think it makes more sense that running for governor and all that comes with it wasn't really like enough to <laughs> to deter you, you know, some, so, so that makes sense when you fill in the backstory going through all that, that's actually really cool that you did that. And I feel like those would be another boatload of just fascinating conversations and you could probably teach so many things just from, just from. Well, the, one of the reasons, you know, years ago, I, I grew up, we had horses, we still have Prather quarter horses uh, back home, you know, training horses for competition and raising horses and, um, so I grew up in that world. And then, then when I went viral, you know, I was doing a, an equestrian show. So like the hat and the boots, that's real. You know, I grew up down in the woods and people give me a hard time because I was born in New Jersey. Uh, it just happened to be where my father and mother were when she went into labor because he was doing a job there. And uh, I didn't live there anytime, just born there. Uh, but I grew up in Georgia. And, um, you know, when the virality hit, I was doing a television show about horses. So I love the fact that people get fooled by the hat. Right. They, they, they think, oh, this guy's just a bumpkin redneck. He doesn't know anything. But I've got multiple degrees. I taught master's level Greek uh, in a seminary level for a couple of years. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting. I love to shock people mm-hmm. with things I know. <laughs> uh, a lot of it useless information, but it's fun for me. Yeah. The multi the many layers of Chad Prather. I love to surprise people in that regard. <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun that way. But then, you know, like I said, you know, then I ran for governor and, and you get into I like to challenge myself. I put myself in situations like that where you're out of control and you realize how much you in truth you don't know. There's a lot you don't know. Uh, but I, I believe if you're willing and teachable that that life is a much more grand experience if you're willing to be taught. And and I'm certainly try to remain teachable in that regard. Yeah, apparently. All right. Look, so one post you did back in 21, like July, I think it was July 4th post in 21. You said um, in in response to people saying that the world is laughing at us, which I also think is true. And if you watch Sky News, you see that they are laughing at us, but um, they're doing it in a pretty funny way. So you have to respect that. Um, So, but you said, you know, maybe they are, but they're also envious of the life we lead. And because we have the ability to pursue happiness without persecution. So yeah. do you still believe those things hold true? Yeah, I think so. Um, everybody wants to come to America. Um, you know, again, it, uh, the Muslim world sees us as the great Satan. Uh, we are the, the land of opulence. We're the land of not only opportunity, but into them, that opportunity is, is opportunity for sinfulness in many ways. Um, you know, our excesses make us evil in the eyes of the world in a lot of ways. Um, our problems, as I alluded to earlier, are first world problems for the most part. I mean, honest to God, yesterday people sat around arguing over alopecia. Uh, you know, most people didn't know what alopecia was, you know, but because of Jada Pinkett Smith, who herself is worth $50 million and she's in essence married to a billionaire, has whatever kind of kinky relationship going on in that marriage. And then another 
mega millionaire gets on stage and tells a joke that insults him and suddenly everybody's got to choose sides and it's like really really civilians are dying in ukraine right now right um there's you know there's more slavery happening globally than has ever happened in the human history that we know of um and it's like we're really gonna sit here online on facebook on our thousand dollar supercomputer that we call a telephone and we're going to argue over whose side we're going to take, whether it's, you know, I am legend or the guy who was the voice of the zebra on uh, <laughs> Madagascar, One of those, yeah. you know? Um, so it's like, we're, we're, we're really kind of stupid in that regard. So, so we're kind of, it's, it's kind of a unforced suicide that's happening here uh, on a, on a cultural level. And I, so I do think the world laughs at us. They, they don't, you know, we're ridiculous. But but we don't have to be, you know, we, we, we've got the funny thing is like so when um, what's his name? Ely, um, oh, I can't think of his name, the Harvard law professor that just wrote the book about oh, the Constitution, uh, Ely Mistel. Uh, he was on The View and he called the Constitution a trash document. He said, well, it's kind of a trash document. Um, well, the Constitution <laughs> provided you a black man, provided you the opportunity to sit with a group of women that are all mega millionaires on a nationally televised show that's on every day. It provided you the freedom to get on there and say something so stupid, right? right? So it, you say, well, blacks weren't consulted. Actually, they were. More, more blacks were consulted. Like more blacks voted to ratify the Constitution of the United States of America in Maryland than whites did. And, and at most all ratifying conventions in the 13 colonies, uh, or in the 13th, you know, the original states there, all of them had black representatives who were in, who were present at the ratification meetings. So that's just stupid in, in terms of our history. But the fact that that constitution gave you the freedom to say something so asinine shows you what a great document it is. But we're dumb. We're just dumb. We, we, we really are. We're so angry at history that, uh, you know, why aren't you, Barb, why aren't you feeling more guilt for all of your privilege and all the things your ancestors did. We don't know what your ancestors did, but holy shit, it had to be bad. Uh, because I'm a white supremacist, so I don't, of course you are. <laughs> don't feel guilty about that stuff. I, I revel in it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So look, do you really do you really want to secede Texas? No, I, and, and, you know, I never I, our thing on that is what I've said over and over again is, you know, the Texas bill. Uh, House Bill 1539 here in Texas. Very which, clever name. Yeah, the Texas bill is um, here. Here's where I stand on that. I was the only candidate that advocated for that to be on the ballot for people to actually vote on it, not because I thought it would pass, but I think that it says to Washington D.C., "We're here. You need us, and you need us more than we need you." So. Texas, I believe, is the last true bastion of independent freedom thinking. Statistically, we don't lead in anything in the nation, which is unfortunate. Uh, we're really not doing great overall, contrary to popular mythological belief. But people do look to Texas. We're, we're a trendsetter, and they see independence in us. And we were independent, and that spirit still resonates throughout Texans and, and their minds and in their hearts. So... I believe that we could put Washington, D.C. back on track. You know, we, we've got we've got military here. We've got oil here. We've got gas here. We've got coal here. We've got so many of these things that make the nation run. But yet 
um, you know, America, or, or I should say Washington, D.C., is shitting on us, right? So here we are, you know, the eighth, ninth, uh, at any given time, largest economy on the planet, and we send, you know, $260 billion a year to Washington, D.C. They send us 29% of that back, and we, well, are we supposed to be thankful for that, you know, yes, Chad. It, it, yes, we are. I mean, it, I mean, that's like going into the clinic. Line up and say thank you. Yeah, they, they, they. You go into the clinic. They drain a hundred percent of your blood, give you fifteen percent of it back, and pat you on the ass and say they hope you feel good tomorrow. Um, you know, and we're supposed to sit back and take that. Um, Washington D.C. Look, do you feel? Where are you? What state are you in? New York State. Okay. See, I don't feel unified with New York State. Good Neither do I. Neither yeah. do I. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And listen, I've toured all over New York. I've had shows in New York for years. I, I love upstate New York. Um, three yeah, weeks we're not up. in the city. I got a fat ass yeah. horse in the backyard myself. There you go. So we're, yeah, we're people don't realize that about New York. They yeah, don't it's actually a beautiful that. state. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's a gorgeous yeah. state. Carry on. Yeah. Um, you know, we fly into Buffalo and go all the way across Rochester, Syracuse, and Albany usually on our tour. And, we, you know, we count the barns. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful drive. Um, but I got to go to New York City in three weeks. I don't want to go, but I got to go. And um, I'm going to hold my breath the whole time I'm there. But, you know, Texas, I don't feel unified with New York and its government and its bureaucracy. I don't feel united with California, Oregon, or Washington. I don't feel united with Illinois. So we're not the United States no. of America. We're not. Nope. Uh, it's It was an idea that our founding fathers established based on the writings and the teachings and philosophies of Baron de Montesquieu and his writings specifically about a republic. And he said if you had a large landmass that you have to break that down into states in order to control that or else it becomes an empire. So that's why Rome started as a republic and wound up as an empire under a Caesar's rule. That's what's happening in the United States. We've lost the idea that the Tenth Amendment and the sovereignty of states exists, uh, our ability to control ourselves on the state and local level. We're letting D.C. do all of the deciding for us, and we've become an empire. Uh, we, we can't continue down this track much longer or else we are going to be fractured. So if you if you um, and look, I believe if, I believe if Texas were to to secede and there is a way to do that. Uh, people say, "Well, the Constitution doesn't allow for that." Well, this isn't a mother may I kind of thing. We, we're right. not, we're not, we're not asking permission. Um, you, when you leave the union, it's it's a pretty serious thing. Uh, oh, you traitor! No, 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 no. The globalists in Washington D.C. have already seceded the federal government from the American people. So let's let's identify clearly who the traitors truly are. Right. Okay, when you want to devalue the currency of the of a global dollar and just print money where it has no backing. And so you can crash an economy and embrace a World Economic Forum, modern monetary theory and ESG score and, and judge people of whether or not they can do business based on their environmentalism, their social justice and their sense of governance. That's bullshit. Uh, you, you can't listen. You, you start doing stuff like that. That's a globalist agenda. That's not American values. It's certainly not constitutional. So if we were to secede, I think about 25 states would be ringing our phones going, hey, we want to join you uh, because they're sick of this crap as well. If you looked at, it, by example, if you looked at a map of the United States, let's say each state was a puzzle piece and it was hanging on, it was sitting up there and you took Texas where it sits down at the bottom, the foundation in the middle, you took Texas out, that whole map's going to crumble. 
And I think that's what happens. Texas, Texas is that rock that the rest of America has hooked itself into its sense of identity and liberty. That's why Ron DeSantis two months ago got on camera and said, welcome to Florida, the new Texas, which kind of pissed me off. But I get what he was trying to say. Right. It's an underhanded compliment, but still it pisses me off. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, California, they've got the biggest economy in the nation, but they can't save they can't save anything. They're gone. They're they're woke bullshit. They might as well have fallen off into the Pacific Ocean already. You know, and there's good people in California, great people in California, but they have been screwed. They're they're basically in a in a you know a real beautiful environment that's a just a concentration camp. Yeah. Uh, they have no freedom in Florida anymore. I'm in sorry, California. in California. Yeah. 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 That place. They got a lot of freedom in Florida, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, thank God that's an easy flight for me because I have taken advantage of that here and yeah. there. Dude, New York was actually depressing, like, you know, the past two years. I felt oh. it, it did feel like the rest of the world just sort of cut us off. And I can't say I really blame them. I felt like New York was, was like a cancer on, on the Constitution, really. It was just like, you're better off. You got to just cut your losses. And I get it. Like, I, I get it. You know, save yourself. But, you know, avenge uh, son kind of thing. Right. But, um, yeah, it's it's been hard. Thankfully, it's lifted a little bit now. But who knows what's coming down the pike at us next? Like, really? Yeah, never know. My my one of my daughters, uh, she graduates from college in, in a couple of weeks and um, she's a dancer. She actually majored in in dance, which is weird. Um, but hey, it put her through it's college. Not weird, it's ballsy, it's, really. Like you gotta. Well, I'll tell you. Let me get, let me if you're gonna it. do that, I'll tell you my life lesson I learned about that, Barb. So, so I told her before she started college, I said dance is not a major. She goes, "Well, you're in entertainment." I said, "Yeah, but I didn't start out like that. I, I kind of evolved into it." I said, "Maybe take get a business degree, you know, and do dance." She goes, "I'm majoring in dance," and I thought, "Well, when she gets there, somebody will talk her out of it." Um, nope, didn't happen. So she told me, you know, uh, she told me late last year, she said, you know, if it hadn't been for majoring in dance, I just wouldn't have gone to college. Uh, she said, so at least I got an education, uh, even though I've got this degree. So anyway, she's going to New York city. She's, she's got a tryout with the Rockettes at radio city music. Nice. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of one of her dreams to, to at least go try out. And I'm like, well, it'd be great if you made it. What if you make it? Then you got to go to New York City. <laughs> I said that's that's a whole other world, baby. She that can come visit whole... us. We're an hour out. She can come that's, visit us. <laughs> that, well, trust me, I'm going to need you to be surrogate parents. Um, that's a whole other world over there. So uh, anyway, uh, it's, yeah. it's 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 a whole different it's a different planet there. It is, it is. But I'm so hopeful we'll get it back. Um, and we're going to wrap so up too. here in a minute. But it, on that thread. What is your hope for these midterm elections? I mean, and what do you see? How much weight should we put on the midterm elections, either helping swing the pendulum back to America's core values or just further burying it? How much do you think the elections will impact? Well, I hope they'll impact. <clears throat> I hope they'll impact a lot. Look, I we got to deal with these Republicans that are only, you know, in name only the rhinos that are there that don't hold the same convictions, you know, these career politicians. So we got to deal with these guys. I mean, you know, something, something's got to be done about them. We got to vote them out as the best we can, you know, grassroots movements that I'm living proof, a grassroots candidate, mm -hmm. it's almost impossible for them to, uh, you know, shake the tree, so to speak. 
but we've got the, we do need a red wave. We need to take back the House and the Senate. This this needs to be, uh, you know, we we've got to neutralize the idiocy that is the Joe Biden administration before you know he gaffs us into World War Three or or does something else that's just absolutely stupid to crash the economy even further. But it's it's very important. I you know I encourage people to overwhelm the ballot box, uh, overwhelm their algorithms, get it to where they can't you know, cheat, uh, you know, show up, vote the day of, vote in person, all these different things. But we got to get real conservative candidates. And listen, I don't care, you know, if my my enemy is big government. I, I want to get government, you know, I ran on the platform, let's get government out of your life. Um, let's put it back in the hands of the people to control their lives. And I don't care if you have an R by your name. I don't care if you have a D by your name. If you are big government, you are the enemy. You are the enemy, and and you can always tell who's big government. And you know these guys want to spend more. They want they want to put people in more de- governmental dependence, and, and that's the kind of shit we got to fight back against, Barb. And it's it's important. I mean, you see right now, you got an idiot for a governor. You had an idiot. Now you got another idiot. Uh, you know, and you see know. what that brings. You see what that brings. And then you know you take yeah. New York City. I mean, the guy, the mayor of New York City, he's a moron. Um, but Kathy Hochul, she's a joke. And so, you know, this, this, they're big government shills and they're going to be the death of all of us one way or another. Yeah. I'm really pulling for Lee Zeldin here in New York. I think, I I think he is currently New York's biggest chance to at least, at least like take a breath and kind of assess the, assess the carnage and create some sort of plan to rebuild or something. Cause right now everybody's so freaking shell-shocked when you walk around like yeah. and people in new york um yeah it is a different a different culture here when you are out and about we hung a flag we just moved to this town uh, about six months ago and when we were like oh we're gonna hang a flag out front you know because i we had a flag at the other place and we actually had like a quick conversation like had a minute we're like well this will either like get our house egged or get us some lemon cake from a neighbor like either way like there's gonna be like either people are going to just say, oh, God, one of these moved onto the streets or they're going to be like, oh, hey, welcome, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And um, we we're pleasantly surprised to get more of the welcome. Um, yeah, good. The but um, yeah, but it's crazy to think that even planning, like putting a flag out requires a little bit of moxie now where it, that's just ridiculous to me. It's considered hate. You know, we've got I've got an apparel brand, uh, you know, unapologetic patriot. And and so we've you know, we sell it on, on my website. We, we have a great business and we sell things, shirts that say, you know, freedom over fear and unapologetic freedom. And, you know, the, the whole phrase is unapologetic. And um, people come at us pretty hard on that. You know, I was doing a, I had a tour comedy tour a couple of years ago called the Star Spangled Banter Comedy Tour. And I had a girl up north who I was doing a show. She was the promoter. She goes, you should think about changing that name. And I said, why? And she said, well, Star Spangled Banter. And I go, yeah, it's a play on the national anthem. And she goes, yeah, that's the problem. I said, what's the problem? She goes, well, people on our side, and she was obviously on the left. She goes, people on our side, we kind of find that offensive. I said, you find the Star Spangled Banner offensive. Um that's offensive. Like that, I have a problem with that weak right. shell of a human being. Um, right. You know, I did I did shows in uh, talking about New York. I was doing a show in Rochester, and I, and I came in there, and the guy that owned the 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 venue there, he goes, "Man, I've caught so much shit for having you in here." He goes, 
he goes, people keep calling going, can't believe you're having that racist, that white supremacist come into your, into your, you know, venue to perform. And he's like, you know, these idiots up here, they, they have just because you have a patriotic brand. Yep. You must be a white supremacist. Um, it's, it's mind blowing where we're at, which again, yeah, I wrote a book called that. Am I Crazy for that very purpose. Yes. We get that a lot uh, on our side too. And try, try, launching a platform with that it's not even yeah. like you start with a platform and you change it and then you lose some people and then have to grow we launched with that we just said oh you know so every person we get to connect with us is is like a win because that person really wants to be there right we did an right. event the great american summit and we had some places like oh you shouldn't call it that place I'm like, well, i guess we'll just move on to another venue then you know um look chad it's been so much fun having you definitely worth a couple years of gentle stalking I had to do. And I appreciate the <laughs> favors I called to, to make that happen. I'll reward all those people. I don't know, it's a beer or something, um, but where can people go to, to connect with you, to get tickets to your show, to get your merch, to get your book. Well, uh, watch chad.com is the kind of, that's the most vain web address of all time. Watchchad.com. Um, is where people can, you know, get all of our stuff. Our store is there as well as our shows. We've got, we're doing, we're doing, we incorporate music into my comedy shows. We're doing more music. It's comedy music, but it's good quality comedy music. Uh, we're doing more and more of those shows. We're booking a ton of those. So I'd love to see people out on the road. We're, we're hey, now the campaign's done. We're booking more and more and getting out there again. Uh, and then if people want to check out chadprather.com, uh, that's kind of my news blog. We, we kind of have fun with the news and we put some interesting stories out there. Encourage people to check it out. It's updated daily throughout the day. So um, appreciate people following and checking it out. Excellent. And um, next time you swing through New York on one of your tours, we'll, um, we'll be right in line there to just shout. You don't have to be in line. I'll give you, we'll let you in the back door. Oh, all right. I'm going to let that one go too, but thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Chad, thank you again so much. This has been really fun. Thanks, Barb. All right, everyone. There you have it. That wraps up another episode of the Flex Your Freedom podcast. Thank you so much for listening in today. I'd like to personally thank Chad Prather for being here as well. If you want to learn more about Chad Prather, you want to follow him online, make sure you go to greatamericansyndicate.com forward slash podcast. It's the featured episode of the week. You can read the little write-up that we did there, watch the video interview, and we'll also include some links there that you can use to follow Chad on social. You should definitely be following him on Facebook and Instagram. Don't forget, we have our Great American Syndicate. This is our association. We are an association, a coalition, a group of freedom-loving, driven, patriotic citizens just like yourself. Uh, we offer perks and discounts inside. 30% off all of our Great American Syndicate apparel. Plus, you get access to our member-only social networking platform where we're going to have guests come in, do live broadcasts. We have trainings in there. Plus, you get a free access as long as you're an active member to our Great American Summit. You can watch virtually or attend in person. All you have to do is go to greatamericansyndicate.com to learn more. Again, we appreciate you being here today. We will see you next time. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you really are. <music>